0: Hello, it's time again for another Hokies Press Pass podcast. This is Andy Bitter of the Roanoke Times. I'm speaking to Mike Barber of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And Mike, uh, big win for the Hokies on Saturday. A, a very wide margin, 52-10 to 10 against state rival Virginia. Uh, it seems like that rivalry has never had such a gap between the two schools as it had the other day. Uh, and the Hokies are going to the ACC title game. So uh, with those two things in mind, uh, how are you doing and what are your biggest takeaways from the, the
1: weekend? Hey, thanks. I'm doing great. Uh, <laughs> now, you know, I, I thought it was surprising to me how lopsided the game was. Um, more than that, it was surprising to me. Um, how lopsided the game was uh, almost immediately. You know, this wasn't a case where I think we all went in and we knew that Virginia Tech was much better, and it's obvious. They're they're a much better team this year. They have been for a number of years. Uh, The talent gap is huge. Momentum, is everything about it said, you know, Virginia Tech was going to win this game, certainly. Uh, But I think, at least I did, I expected this to be a little more ugly, a little more competitive for a half, and and then you sort of would see Virginia Tech pull away. And um, I know that this is highly insulting if you're a UVA fan, but I thought it would play out the way most matchups with FCS teams play out, where there's a lot of fight in Ouch. that FCS. <laughs> it's I know, a little insulting. I know, and, and I, I, I almost hated to say it, but it's it's exactly my mindset. Was I thought there'd be a lot of heart and a lot of passion from UVA. I thought its starters would play very well, uh, and they would kind of keep things competitive for a quarter, quarter and a half, maybe a full half uh, before Virginia Tech kind of was able to put them away. And that wasn't the case. Uh, this game was all Virginia Tech all day long. I thought the second thing that was interesting was, you know, you and I and talking to the players after the game and kind of asking the, the sort of standard question of, you know, was it hard to focus uh because the the ACC Coastal had been clinched a day earlier and to a man the players almost laughed at that idea. Um and, and coach Fonte even said in sort of a rare moment of of I thought being open, um he said, you know, you know if it was a different opponent, I might have worried about that letdown and that idea of overlooking, he said, but not with Virginia. So um, the the fact that they were truly able to focus and and you realized how much this rivalry means, uh, and then the fact that it was just such a domination, uh, those are the things that I took away from this weekend.
0: Yeah, I uh, say it all the time, and I don't seem to heed my own advice, uh, but, but Vegas knows. <laughs> Vegas knows something. They always have a pretty good idea about these games. So the fact that I balked at that 20-point line earlier this week, uh, as it turned out, that was not high enough in this game. I, I was a little shocked. I mean, I, you know, you look at these programs last year, and they were one game apart in the division. Uh, you know, it came down to the very end. I think UVA was 4-8. and eight. Techs finished 7-5. and five. Uh, Field goal game was a difference. I mean, the last four years, this game has been really close and competitive. And that that's the reason I went into this thinking, yeah, it's been a really down year for UVA, but I don't think that much has changed. And I, I was just, it was sort of striking just how, Different the two programs looked, uh you know Virginia Tech just hitting on all cylinders looked like the team from earlier this year, quite honestly. And if they're playing like that, uh, you know I think that gives them at least a, a shot in this ACC title game coming up. And I mean I, I guess UVA looked like it did earlier this year. I, I thought they had gotten a little more competitive as the season went on, and I guess. You know, I saw a couple, only a couple games of theirs this year, and I'm thinking back to the games I saw, and it was the Duke game, because that was a weekend, I think, where Virginia Tech wasn't playing, and that's when they won, and it was the Louisville game, and that's when where they probably played their best game of the year and probably should have beaten Louisville. Uh, so maybe I had a, a misguided uh, picture of what UVA was like. Maybe they're more like the team that got blown out of the water by Richmond, uh, an FCS team in, in the opener, or, uh, was less competitive in some of these games recently, uh, lost to UNC by twenty twenty one, 21, I think, and Miami by 20. So, uh, I guess maybe I just did not peg Virginia correctly in this game. I, I was kind of shocked on, uh, how they came out and kind of rolled over from the start. Were you?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I don't think you were wrong, because I got to cover a few more of their games, and I was at those two you mentioned uh, in person covering them, and, and I thought they were headed in a good direction. I did not think they would win Saturday, but I thought they would play competitively, and I tell you the one thing, that, and we, I, I know it's, it's a tech podcast, we don't want to go too into UVA, but the bizarre shuffling of the quarterbacks. That was really strange. Uh, it was so strange, and... It's not something you'll ever be able to convince me was a good idea. And then to hear Broncos answer about it uh, did not help at all. I, I thought that didn't clear things up at all. and I still thought it was a mistake. And then the most devastating thing was to hear Kenna Kanem talk about how that combined with the way they rotated their offensive linemen, Ken said to us, you you know, I couldn't figure it out. It was creating confusion and chemistry problems for UVA. And there was a point he said he wanted to ask the UVA players, hey, what's going on? What are you all doing? Um, So, yeah, I, I thought, I think UVA made a good hire. I think Bronco Mendenhall is going to get his program in place. I think he made... A number of errors that he openly admits this season in terms of overcomplicating the defense and not recognizing some things in the offense, Um, I think that will change and this program will improve under him. But that was just an eye-openingly bad performance Saturday.
0: In 130 years of college football, it's been proven pretty well that you can't rotate quarterbacks <laughs> like that. I mean, it, that's just... I don't know of a single team that has done it successfully. I I, I know that Florida team that won the national championship with Tebow did, but that was really sort of a goal line set a very specific very special very specific skill that he brought to the game there and I, I guess you said tech would do it the last couple of years but it didn't work very well a and B motley was sort of the wildcat guy it was a very different skill set I feel like Johns and Bankert were the exact same quarterback and neither one looked like they felt comfortable back there all day I mean, part of that is due to Virginia Tech just sort of getting sure. all over them uh, in the pocket even though they only had one sack I feel like they pressured them pretty well uh, but when
1: you heard but and then you heard Bronco explain it. his explanation was, well, we thought Banker had a bigger arm, and there were times that it would call for that, and we thought Bankert was more mobile, and there was times that would cause for that call for that, but we thought Matt Johns was more poised, and there were times that would call for that, but they rotated them snap by snap by snap, so it just it just didn't make any sense it'd be different if they said, Hey, Bankert is our third long quarterback because he can throw the ball farther, or Bankert is our third-down quarterback, because when there's a blitz coming, he can get away from it. Um it, The the juggling play-to-play did not make, to me, any sense, and it didn't jive with the explanation you got afterward. It wasn't a matchup on third down or a short yardage or any of the things like you're talking about, you know, goal line that, that makes some sense. This was just, we're going to willy-nilly rotate these guys in and out. It's going to affect our play calling. It's going to affect our chemistry, and neither guy is going to get in a rhythm. And to my eyes, that's exactly how it played out
0: near the end, it was almost like the football gods intervened,
1: because they they,
0: they were like, okay, this two quarterback thing has not worked all game. Let's put in a third quarterback, and they put in Connor Brewer for one play. He rolls left, gets hit, fumbles, and the Tech tech picks it up. Matupawaka goes 70 yards for a, a touchdown. It's almost like there was some sort of divine intervention that was like, all right, stop this. Stop doing this. This is an affront to football that you keep rotating these guys in. Uh, I yeah, You're right. I had no idea What they were trying to do. Uh, It it was just kind of bizarre uh, looking at how they went about that. Uh, This is a tech podcast, though. So let's talk about Virginia Tech. Uh, Obviously, the story, I I think both of us led with it because it was I mean, it it was like a Hollywood script. Essentially, it was Sam Rogers, uh, his his amazing senior day. I mean, he knew it was going to be emotional going in. We both wrote about him this week and, you know, to speak about the kind of person that Sam is. Uh, in the postgame, he shakes both of our hands and thanks us for writing about the articles. Not many players do that, so all this this stuff you hear about Sam Rogers uh, is very true. <laughs> it's really not an exaggeration when you hear all this stuff. Um, he runs, you know, surprisingly. You know, 15 times for 105 yards. Those are both career highs. He'd never topped 100 yards. He'd never topped 57 uh, I think previously. Had two touchdowns. He had never had more than one touchdown in the game. He had 29 receiving yards. And then afterwards as we're sitting in the press box writing our post-game stories, we see him down in the north end zone. There's you know, pictures of Sam and his girlfriend up on the, the Jumbotron in Lane Stadium and he proposes to his girlfriend on the field. So I, I would say a pretty good day overall for Sam Rod
1: yeah i mean i can't imagine it's almost comical uh to think of of this is the way your senior day plays out you know i I think that everybody goes into their senior day their final game and especially if it's virginia tech uva and and all of that and you're an in-state kid like sam is i think everybody kind of envisions maybe that whole maybe not that whole day that's ridiculous but something along those lines And, and most times Maybe you get a garbage touchdown, uh, you know, at the end to, to make it nice. Or or maybe you make a big first down catch that that we can blow up into a big story. But really, you know, how big was it? Um, Sam Rogers was the story of the game uh, and then had what I have to imagine was the day of his life. We'll, we'll get to talk to him later today. But um, it really was, you know, when you talk about a Hollywood script and all that kind of, you know, mushy garbage stuff, it it, it sort of was that. Um, and it's interesting. You know, I asked Justin Fuente Did you go into this game um, wanting to feature Sam? We saw them have a very emotional moment together in the introductions and during the senior day ceremony before the game. It looked like Justin gave him a kiss on the head. They embraced for a while. They were talking for a while. Justin's been open about how great Sam has been a coach and what he means to him. Um, I asked him, you know, did you go into this game wanting to feature Sam Rogers? Um certainly not at the expense of, of winning or anything, but was that in your mind? And of course Justin said, No, you know, we don't think about that. And Trayvon fumbled early and that was part of the reason and all all that kind of stuff. But I don't know if I'd buy it. You know, I, I think that I think that this was a game they felt they could win any number of ways. Uh and, and I think they went into this game with a plan to to feature a very talented player who maybe doesn't Always get his due in that regard because, uh, of how many weapons are on this team and how versatile he is and, and what a team player he is. Again, we'll, we'll never know unless maybe Fuente writes a book 20 years from now, uh, called Let Me Be Justin or, or whatever it's going to be. But, um, you know, I think that, I think that it'd be interesting to find out if he didn't go into that game, um, seeing a mismatch certainly and, and wanting to win and, and having lots of ideas, but wanting to feature a kid who's been such a big part of this program.
0: I'm trying to think of a title for that book, Just In Case You Wanted to Know, or something like that. Yeah, that works. There you, go. Uh, that's,
1: that's a cool you know,
0: I think they actually did not go into that game one in the feature sound. I, I you, you look at who started a tailback, it was Peoples. And he got three carries, and then he fumbled on that one It got it back. But he didn't get another carry the rest of the game, I don't think. Uh, McMillan was in the game early in that first quarter. He fumbled. He didn't get a carry again until it was just garbage time at the end. I mean, those are, that's the kiss of death in this offense. If you fumble, uh, you are going to be on the bench for a while and, and not really heard from again. And uh, you know they're not exactly blessed with running backs. After that, I mean, Shine McKenzie must be in some kind of doghouse. He hasn't even dressed uh, in a while. Uh, I mean, DJ Reed was getting carries at the end, and Trayvon finally came back. Uh, I mean, he came back when the score was forty-five to three. But I think, you know, if what they looked at, him, he's like these two guys are fumbling. I mean, has Sam ever fumbled? I mean, he, he probably has, and I'm just forgetting it. But uh, he's a guy that's going to be dependable. And they started giving the ball, and he's just, just churning out yardage. I, I think that's just sort of the way it went. In that game, Uh, I think it was interesting. Afterwards, uh, I kind of wonder throughout that game. You know, he obviously had this proposal in mind (laughs) during the week. You asked Fuente last night on the uh, conference call uh, for the ACC title game if he knew about Sam's proposal plans, and he said, "Yes, through my intricate uh, network of spies, I had uh, figured it out ahead of time." But I mean, obviously, there was a you know, Sam had to set it up. video crew or whoever was doing the jumbotron and stuff like that. Uh to have that sort of like focus in the game with that weighing over you afterwards, I feel like that was pretty impressive. Uh I think in the post game his answers were maybe kind of short. I don't know. Sam is kinda of like that. He's that really talkative guy. So I wonder if that was on his mind then. But then as we're coming out of the 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 tunnel, Aaron McFarlane and I are columnists. We always record a video uh, on the field afterwards as we're doing that in the middle of our one take because we only do one take because that's, you know, what we're like. (laughs) We're not going to seek perfection on this post-game three-minute video. But Sam drives by on a golf cart. He just yells out, woo, woo, (laughs) like going right by. (laughs) So I'm like, I wonder if uh, getting past all that stuff and getting to the uh, important part of the day might have been sort of a a burden-relieving thing for him or something like that. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm sure, and you know it was cool too. And maybe I should have seen it coming because uh, you know he talked. Uh, his whole family was there, um, and, and I talked to his brother and, and they, you know all the extended family and friends. And, they had like 80 uh, people there, I think. Yeah, and, and you know when I talked to his brother during the week, I guess I just thought, okay, it's senior day for you know a great player, a great story, a great kid. Um, that's natural. Um, so I actually need to go back and, and text his brother and find out if. If he knew, if any of them knew, um, obviously some people did at, at the moment because uh, they were kind of hiding in Lane Stadium and, and came out uh, down through the stands and onto the field after uh, after his fiance now-fiancé said yes. But I'm curious if they knew all week and that was part of the reason or uh, if it was just really perfect timing for Sam to think, hey, everyone's going to be here anyway. Let me put this together for Saturday.
0: I think somebody had to have a clue. I mean, how, yeah. how else would they know to be waiting up in the wings at Lane Stadium? Sort of oh, certainly by saying. that point, yeah. We just had the fortune of being there uh, writing our stories on a deadline that we were witnessing this whole thing. Like It was after the game, and I looked up, like, why is there, like, a picture of Sam Rogers from high school up on the, the jumbotron? Here? That seems kind of hot that that freeze frame is there. It's like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense <laughs> in hindsight. And, and how
1: fitting, too. He scores the first touchdown of the game in the north end zone, and, and then that's where he proposes. There in that you north go. End it wasn't zone. In the
0: exact spot. It was further further down to the sideline.
1: I know. And, See, that's bad play calling, I guess, by Fuente. There, there you go.
0: Uh, looking at the total offensive effort, uh, they ran for two hundred eighty-nine yards, a season high. They passed for two hundred ninety, which is not, but you know, when you are at 50, fifty-two to ten, you are not going to throw the ball a whole lot. Uh, they was season high in yards, five hundred seventy-nine. Uh, that that was their most well-balanced effort this year. Do you feel like that is kind of the ideal of what this offense is? It, it didn't feel like they really forced the pass early or forced the run early. They just were having success in both, and I think they kind of built off of that.
1: Yeah, and I think we saw some games that were like that. Um, when you think about East Carolina and Boston College, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what the splits were, but I think w- when they were kind of rolling early, you were seeing it. You were seeing, okay, teams are going to focus on this. We'll do that. And um, some of those games were a little maybe more pronounced in terms of what teams were willing to give. Um, But then you had that run kind of starting with North Carolina and the rain obviously was a huge factor where they sort of turned the offense over to Evans uh, for him to be the run game. And um, not that you can't win that way. And certainly they did because he's an excellent player, but it's not the design of this offense. And um, the design is, especially with the weapons they have is to, to be unpredictable, uh, and to be willing to win a game in a lopsided fashion. You talk about balance all the time, and we do. I know I always talk about, you know, is this team balanced? Well, part of balance is just being able to win equally 50%, 50% either way. And if a team comes out and says, we're going to stop the run, you say fine. And, and, you know, we saw it was the pit game where, you know, three receivers with a 100 yards. and um, You know, things like that where it isn't necessarily about being even on a given day. It's about being even. Uh, in terms of what the other team is preparing for, I thought this was a great example of that. Um, I thought Virginia did have a defense that seemed to focus more on jet sweep uh, and, and quarterback option-wide. I, I thought they did some things with, with their corners, with their defensive backs, and even, I guess, what you'd call in that defense, a, um, in outside backers. Uh, now they switched to the 3-4. I thought they did some things to try to pinch off the outside uh, that didn't work well for them uh, and open things up for, for them to run the ball for Virginia Tech to run the ball more between the tackles. Uh, and I thought that that allowed some more downfield throwing options. I thought also Virginia Tech is just much better uh, when it comes to the matchup of receivers versus secondary. Um, but yeah, this was a game where um, Virginia didn't necessarily sell out to take away either aspect. And Virginia Tech was able to be successful in both styles of play.
0: Yeah, I think I asked Fuente about it last night, about the running game, and he said, yeah, it was a little bit how Virginia was defending them that opened up some things, but he also thought that you know, the line was pushing guys back four or five yards every time. And that's something that, you know, we really haven't seen all season. Uh, I know it's been a work in progress with this offensive line. They've had some struggles where they just just could not get any movement up front. And, and some of that is, is due to how teams defend them. You know, if they stack the box, uh, it, it comes down to a numbers game. And, and obviously Virginia didn't. So you see a situation like that where they have an advantageous situation like that. And they took advantage of it, finally. Uh, 5.7 yards per rush. Uh, Sam Rogers, seven yards a carry. DJ Reed, six yards a carry. I know that was late, uh, kind of garbage time there. Trayvon, even with the fumble, 6.4 yards a carry. Peoples, five yards a carry. I mean, every running back was up over five yards per carry. Uh, I think that bodes pretty well for this team going forward. At least it gives them a little bit of encouragement that they don't have to go out there and throw the ball uh, 50 times to win, because I think... In the ideal situation of this offense, that's not how Fuente wants to do it. He wants to run the ball, throw off play action. I mean, he said that multiple times this year, and uh, I think that was kind of the, 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 the best that they've done it exactly how they've wanted to do it this year. Uh, I think it was interesting in the fourth quarter we got to see some backups. I mean, it was essentially two and a half quarters for the starter before the backups got in. Uh, kind of cool to see Brendan Motley get some time at the end. I mean, he's put in so much over these five years that, you know, local kid to get a play at the end and, and throw a touchdown pass. Uh, that had to be pretty neat for him. Uh, DJ Reed gets some carries. I mean, I guess, uh, he's sort of the, the garbage time running back right now. You don't have Shy McKenzie out there. Uh, what do you think is up with Shai McKenzie? That, that seems like a very strange situation to me, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to know. And, and I guess we can ask Justin today, and I'm sure he'll tell us nothing because that's what he
0: <laughs> there's, does. There's a 0% chance <laughs> we get a straightforward answer about this.
1: Sure. No chance. But um, I thought it was interesting. You know, I tweeted after the game, what, what's going on with Shy McKenzie? Um, you know, nobody can say what's going on. The spokesman says he's still on the team. Didn't know for sure if he was dressed. And then Shy actually tweeted back and said, "Since week six, I've been trying to win scout player of the week awards. Um, so apparently, he's been relegated to the scout team. Um, that seems odd. You don't know if it's a a health deal, if he, if he had a setback. You know, again, this this team and this coaching staff just tells you nothing. You don't know if he had a setback with his knee, if he had a, a discipline issue, if he's just not performing as well. Um, and and you hate to guess because we don't see practice. We have no idea what's going on, but." He's apparently still part of the team and um, not not a very active part of the offense, at least.
0: Well, he addressed at least since, since he came back from injury, yeah. didn't he? And yeah. I, it seems odd it that. that. I thought maybe that was sort of uh, dripping with a little bit of uh, non-seriousness there when he re- replied that, just to kind of exaggerate his situation there. I I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I mean, I guess... Uh, if they have other people like like Sam and, and Trayvon, and, and now people's carrying the ball, that it's not as much of a hit. That, that just seems kind of a baffling thing. Uh, certainly with Marshawn Williams out now, that uh, you have a guy like that who has had success in the past. So, so something's up there. I'm not exactly sure what it is. I'm not exactly sure we'll get a straight answer. We won't. And you it's uh, really interesting
1: to hearing you say that too. It reminds me that you know we went into this year talking about okay, how would they split carries? when you have a 1,000-yard rusher back in Trayvon, but you've got Marshawn, you've got Shy, and you've got Deshaun McLeese. Now, McLeese got hurt <laughs> That's right. you know, early, I early about in McLeese. the year. Yeah, I mean, got hurt early in the year. Uh, Marshawn maybe was a, a little hampered by still the, the knee deal. Um, Sam, all of a sudden, there's all this talk that seems very real about him playing tailback in the preseason, and that has played out to be the case. Uh, and then you factor in, you know, Stephen Peoples, which they kept bringing him to, like, interview sessions, and Fuente kept saying, you know, oh, he's... Somebody and I think we sort of all dismissed that because of that pecking order. We, we thought certainly those four or five guys were ahead of them. Um, and, and you get to the end of the year, and uh, you, you know it really ends up being Rogers, McMillan, Slash, Peoples uh, when you look at that, and, and McKenzie just buried and Reed just in garbage time, and uh, McLeese injured and Williams suffered the unfortunate injury. Obviously against Notre Dame, he had played well at times, so it really did change the narrative of it. it might just be a case where this new coaching staff came in put their own eyes on guys, put their own evaluation on guys and decided that the running backs who had been playing weren't the right ones. Yeah. I don't think I
0: dismissed Peoples at the beginning of the year. I, I don't necessarily think that I thought he'd be, get tailback carries. I thought he would just come in because yeah. oh, this is going to be the starting H back. And he, he's done that stuff. You know, it, it, it maybe should not be as much of a mystery as we think it is. Every time we asked Fuente about the running backs, he's like, listen, I don't care who gets the ball. <laughs> like, It doesn't matter to me as long as they're getting yards. Uh, so this maybe this notion that, or this uh, you know setup that Virginia Tech has had for so long, where there's a feature guy, a clear cut featured guy who's your main rusher that gets you know twenty five carries a game, that's just a thing of the past. I think people just maybe need to get used to that. That yeah, you know, I get tops, that. Gonna, but... Tops are going to get twelve to fifteen, and it, it might be a different guy each week based on how guys are playing.
1: Yeah, I get that, but it was still never shy McKenzie, which is still a question that that you yeah. know it's yeah one, that part I, I'm not that quite part sure is still going to be a mystery. Yeah, you're right. That that one I don't think we'll have an answer for it because yeah, I do think it's true that maybe different players fit a different style or a different opponent. Um, but I also think we've seen a willingness to ride guys at least within a game who are doing well. We saw it with Sam on on Saturday. Um, and, and, you know, think if that game had been close, which obviously it's almost hard to imagine that game being close now, but had it been close, um, you imagine Sam would have had more than those 15 carries based on the way things were going. Um, if he wasn't breaking off 32-yard touchdown runs, he might have had two or three carries on on would-be drives there. I, I think it worked better the way they did it. But um, but yeah, it's going to be a mystery to us, at least for a while, what happened to Shai McKenzie as far as just not being a part of that mix.
0: Well, let's flip over to defense. Uh, We talked about the quarterback rotation for UVA a little bit at the beginning of this. Uh, I'll be honest, if they kept one guy in the game the whole time, I don't think he was going to have much success. Uh, I didn't think receivers were very open all day. Uh, UVA had one pass of more than 10 yards in non-garbage time. Their one touchdown came against UV or Virginia Tech's backups uh, at the very end of the game. I'm looking at the stats here. Virginia quarterbacks were 13 for 36. They committed three turnovers, two two interceptions, and the one fumble. Uh, that's now six straight quarters if you go back to that Notre Dame game where, where Deshaun Kaiser was three for 15 in the second half, uh, where the pass defense has played pretty well. Uh, They've done so without Greg Stroman. I mean, they were going to save him this week, uh, hope to heal him up another week. Uh, Brandon Faison went out briefly right before halftime. I thought he might have gotten a need in the head or something like that. He was on the sideline without a helmet. I'm I'm wondering if he's going to come back in the game. Uh, They must have evaluated him at halftime because he did come out to start the second half. Uh, I I realize the opponent, but I have also seen Virginia throw for some decent yards against teams this year. What did you think of that defensive performance for the Hokies?
1: Yeah, I I thought it was really impressive, and and, and to your point, I I think we went, again, going back, I keep going back to August in the preseason, we had some questions about the depth in that secondary. I think we felt that the secondary could be very good if it stayed healthy, Um, and and I think we've seen it take uh, maybe nothing devastating, but certainly being without Stroman for a number of weeks now, and there have been some nicks and some dings and some guys out for a series, and um, there's proved to be a little more depth there, I think, and part of it is is some versatility. You know, you have some versatility with guys like Chuck Clark and Terrell Edmonds and Darren Green have played uh, all over. You know, it's, it's been sort of the problem the last three or four years where guys are moving and jumbling all over that secondary. It's kind of a little bit of a strength now that if you have a guy out for a series, you can get by. Uh, I think it's really impressive how well they've played uh, coverage downfield. Um, you know, not, not even talking about the rush or talking about the scheme, just Brandon Face on the number of, when I was going to vote for all ACC the number of pass breakups um, you know he's had this year there's just it's been a very impressive when they're left one on one when they're left on an island how those guys have won those battles and um, you know I think back to really good Virginia Tech defenses that's been part of it you know having guys out there that you kind of trusted and. I don't know if those guys got enough credit this year uh, for how good they've been, and uh, and certainly they'll be challenged uh, this coming weekend. But um, I thought it started with the corner play. I guess is my point that uh, all year those corners have been better uh, at locking guys down than maybe we anticipated, and, and the rest of the secondary around them has sort of picked that up. Um, I, I thought the pass rush was good. I know that wasn't. Um, a ton of, it was just a one sack, I guess, by a Canem. Um, but there was a, a good amount of pressure on both quarterbacks, uh, for UVA. Both guys I thought were throwing under duress. Um, and I didn't think they had anywhere to go with the football. So, um, again, I, I think it's a, a mismatch talent wise because of the opponent. Um, but I thought it, it was exactly the kind of defense that Virginia Tech wants to be playing, multiple in the back end, aggressive in the front end, uh, and deep enough that you can withstand a guy going out for a series.
0: Yeah, I think Faison had a really good game uh in mm-hmm. this one. I, I don't think he's been maybe as consistent this year as he has in past years. I think the Miami game, he had a couple busts. Uh, it, it's always tough to peg exactly who was in the wrong spot on the coverage. But I, I seem to remember him uh, maybe being at fault in some of those. In some other games, maybe not as sharp. I, I thought he's looked pretty good, uh, certainly in these last six quarters. I remember a couple plays against Notre Dame, uh, some breakups in that game that he had did pretty well on. Uh, Strowman is an interesting case with me. Uh, I I was watching him during pregame. He was dressed. He was returning some punts, and he still looked like he was kind of favoring that left leg a little bit, a little bit of a a hitch in his giddy up there. Uh, He went over to the sideline, and they actually took a look at his foot in the pregame, and I'm watching them going, I I know he's dressed. I don't know if he's going to play in this game, and sure enough, they held him out in that uh do you think he'll play this week i mean we're not going to get a good read on that from fuente all week we'll see what the injury reports i mean they said it was probable last week he ended up not playing so who knows with this kind of stuff but uh i feel like if he would play and and he's able to do what he did earlier this year that would be a pretty big boost for this team against uh, obviously a a very deep clemson passing uh receiver core
1: yeah, absolutely, and and I, I think yeah, I think we both got the same vibe. You, you're not going to get a straight answer out of Justin Fuente, and um, but I think what I walked away feeling was this was kind of a game, a true game time decision um, where Justin was thinking I'd like to hold this kid out if there's any reason if, if he's a little bit off, and I think in the warmups Greg was a little bit off, and, and I think Fuente was also thinking I'd like to hold this kid out uh, if we don't need him today, which I'm sure in studying the tape he probably got the sense that they might not need Greg Stroman against UVA um the vibe i got and, and and again you know it wasn't certainly a very upfront answer but was that greg stroman could have played against virginia at maybe a little less than 100% uh fonte didn't want to risk it because he knows how valuable he'd be against clemson my guess is he's ready to play against clemson if he doesn't have a setback during the week uh but again that is a Completely a guess of me trying to read the body language and the winks and the blinks and the uh, ticks of Justin Fuente. Uh, My guess is that um, they held him out really as a cautionary reason because they thought they could win without him uh, and they know they need him against Clemson. You mentioned All-ACC a second
0: ago, and I had completely Mm -hmm. forgotten about that when I was mapping out what we were going to talk in this podcast. Which Hokies
1: did you have on your All-ACC team? That's a great question. I'm going to stall because I'm trying to remember. I know that I had Woody Barron, uh, as my first team defensive tackle, and I've taken every chance on this podcast to say that, uh, Woody Barron was a hundred times better than I anticipated him being. He deserves all the credit. I, I thought he would be, I think I've said it before, I thought he'd be a serviceable tackle. He was a dominant defensive tackle. Yeah, I put him uh, as
0: my number one defensive tackle. I put him over the Clemson guy even. I I I thought he had the best. Yeah, I think the Clemson guy's gotten a little more. I forget his name exactly. Yeah, he's got more publicity, and isn't he up for, like, the... Nagurski or something like that award.
1: He's up for one of them. It's well. There's Carlos Watkins as their defensive tackle, and then they also have the defensive end Christian Wilkins. uh, That's very confusing me.
0: Watkins and Wilkins. The fact that they're like and they're both very good.
1: But yeah, I thought Woody Barron. uh, You know, so I had Woody Barron there at defensive tackle. Uh, On the offensive side, I had Gerard Evans as my number three quarterback. So did Uh, I.
0: Yep. That was. It was tough to go any higher than that because this was such an incredible quarterback class this year in the ACC.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are, there are players in the ACC that if they were Heisman finalists, you wouldn't blink. When you think about Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson, uh, and even Dalvin Cook, who didn't quite have the year, but I mean, had a great year. Um, so it, it was a tough year there, but I had, I had Evans on my ballot, at least as the number three quarterback. I had Isaiah Ford, uh, in there at wide receiver, his second team. I uh, guess it would be he's my fi- number five, uh, wide receiver. I did not have Bucky Hodges at tight end. I might have had him as my number nine. Wide receiver, which is the position that he played, but they insisted <laughs> exactly. on nominating him at the wrong position. He didn't, I don't know that I saw him play tight end this year. Uh, so he didn't make my ballot, but he, he would have been, I think, my eight or nine wide receiver had they nominated him correctly. I did not find an offensive lineman from Virginia Tech that I, I, I thought you could put on there. I thought Augie Conti was all conference in his level of quotes exactly. in interviews this year, <laughs> but, uh, I, I didn't see one to, to vote for uh, on the offensive line. so uh, And at center, I, I actually thought Yalo did not have a very good season, so I didn't consider him there. So offensively, that was my list. What did, what did you have offensively?
0: Offensively, I had Evans at number three uh, quarterback like you had. I actually put Ford on the first team at receiver, and I know his numbers uh, maybe not as good as last year. I just think he was that number one guy, and he commanded a lot sure. of attention. He got close to, I think he's at 940 yards, something like that, a good number of touchdowns. I put him ahead of Switzer in that, even though Switzer had 90 catches. uh, I I see a lot of those on bubbles and little quick hitches and stuff. Sometimes you kind of have to weigh exactly how these guys are getting some of those stats. I think the yardage wasn't that different between the two, and uh, Ford had an advantage in touchdowns. So I ended up going with Ford as my my third receiver. I had uh, the Syracuse guy as the first one, and and Mike Williams, Clemson, number two. So Ford was the first team pick there. Uh and then I'm trying to think of who else. Yeah,
1: you I did you I'm have like an offensive lineman I, or No, I did him? not
0: have an offensive lineman and, and I'm like you I didn't put Bucky on there because he's not a tight end. And uh I know a lot of these tight ends now are not truly tight ends. They're sort of H-backs and stuff like that. Uh even if they had played Bucky at all like an H-back or had him do stuff yeah. like that, but he was strictly a wide receiver. He he was almost I mean I'm trying to rack my brain thinking back to plays this year where I saw him where he was just not lined up as a wide receiver and it maybe yeah. maybe less than you can count it on one hand maybe where he didn't I I, I just could not justify putting him in a tight I mean it would have been like putting Isaiah forward at tight end I mean he doesn't play tight end so I couldn't put yeah. him there uh what about defense who yeah, yeah. No, I agree and, and, and I actually I'm sorry go ahead. yeah
1: well we started you know I, I mentioned Woody Barron who I think was the guy who uh you know, just jumped out on this defense all year and, and, uh, I, I, said what I, you know, what I will about Woody. I, what a great year for Woody Barron. And, um, he was a guy I considered for player of the year defensively. He was, he was that good. Um, and then, you know, after that, uh, it, it was a little slim, surprisingly, because they were so good in the secondary. Um, I had Greg Stroman as my third team corner. Um, maybe he could have been over Corn Elder at Miami. You know, I, I could have flipped those two, but, um, you know, he, he and he was the only other guy from Virginia Tech when you're talking about the defense that I had and um I think it's a case where that secondary maybe played better than the sum of its parts if, if that makes sense it, it was um it was a very good year for Virginia Tech secondary and I didn't find anybody there to to put on my ballot
0: I had Barron as my number 1 defensive tackle yep. uh yeah, you know, I feel bad for a cane I mean, we missed some games in the middle of the season, plus defensive end was such a loaded position oh. this year in the ACC. I mean we, we were talking about with some of the other you know, David Teal and Norm Wood. Uh we all had different opinions about who the even top two got like I think my player of the year in the A C C the the B C uh Harold Landry was not on their first team. That's right. <laughs> and I voted end. for him
1: for player of the year, yeah. And right. I mean, So.
0: National leader in sacks, and he wasn't on the first team. That tells you how deep defensive end was. I actually put Tremaine Edmonds, uh, second team linebacker. I think I had him as my number five or six overall linebacker in the pecking order there. Uh, I think he had some like, 16 tackles for loss, 17, some a really high number of tackles for loss. And that was way up there of all the linebackers. I thought he played in the backfield very well this year, uh, had, had a pretty good year, active year in that sense. And I also had Terrell Edmonds. I put him as a first team safety. Uh, I actually put him ahead of Quinn Blanding, who I, I know Quinn Blanding gets all the stats with the tackles and stuff. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's always indicative of how good of a season he had. Um, uh, You know, sometimes those guys are making tackles, really, because nobody else on the defense is making tackles. (laughs) And if your safety is making that many tackles, I I don't think it's... Probably a problem, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't speak too well of your defense. I think also sometimes I I like to get these... uh, I've noticed in the past when I voted on these, sometimes I'd vote them and all of a sudden I'd see, like, uh, you know, a terrible defense. Like, some of those years where Duke had a terrible defense and I'd have, like, two or three Duke guys on the first team Defensively, And I'm like, what is going on? Why is Duke so well represented when their defense is so horrible at the end of the year? Uh, so I, I tried to line these up so some of the better uh, defenses get better representation on these teams. And uh, I put the Clemson guy number one, I think, at safety. I'm, I'm blanking on his name. And I put Terrell Edmonds number two. I think he played uh, really well. I think he was, uh, you know... Uh, obviously in on a lot of tackles. I thought he had a lot of touchdown-saving tackles uh, on this team, which, you know, not the best stat to have if you're running down guys from behind like that. I, I just thought he played really well from the get-go, uh, so I had him on there as well.
1: And then, yeah, and then I, you know, you look at uh, the specialists, and I had Joey Sly as my number 3 place kicker. I had, um, yeah,
0: I had him there too.
1: Yeah, I thought it, you try not to just go by the percentage of, of made kicks, and you try to think back to, to some – you know, big kicks, and I actually thought about uh, Chris Blewett at Pitt, who didn't make my list, but I you know thought about him because of that big kick to to win uh, against Clemson. You know, pressure kick and and see the guys' longs, and you know certainly punting. It was a down year at, at Tech. I thought for for Mitchell Ludwig, he didn't make it, and I had Greg Stroman uh, as my number three. You know, what they're called specialist, I, I took that as return guy. Um, certainly the kid at, at Pittsburgh with the, the multiple touchdown runbacks, What was up there, and Alexander from Louisville. But I had Stroman as my number three, I'll say, return man.
0: Yeah, I did, I did not have Stroman on there. I think the injury at the end of the year hurt mm-hmm. him. I mean, you, you sit out two and a half games like that, three games. I mean, that's tough when you miss a fourth of the season like that. Uh, a, you're just missing some stats and B, it's like those are – you know, crucial conference games that you sat out there. So I ended up not having Stroman on my teams, even though I thought earlier this year, uh, post-Tennessee, where he's, he kind of struggled in that game, I thought he was one of, probably the most consistent defensive back or cornerback that they played uh, for a couple games this year. So that comes out today, I believe, right? They yeah, it comes out around
1: 3 okay. o'clock today. So that'll
0: be interesting to see uh, exactly who gets that. Traditionally, Virginia Tech has been underrepresented on defense Over the years. Uh, Better defense. I'm curious uh, this year what kind of, you know, again, I feel like it's always sort of a team success that they have, and maybe individual guys don't put up that great in numbers. Uh, Woody Barron is the exception this year. He's going to have a a tackles for loss number that sticks out in your eye when you're looking at, at the stat sheet. So I think he should make it beyond that. I'll be honest. I don't know how many guys are going to make it uh, once all this voting comes in. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, though.
1: Uh, yeah, at and I think that I think that Day, I, he got my vote for coach of the year. You know, I also considered Dave Clawson at Wake, but um, I can't think of somebody in, in the league that that did a better job this year. And I know we sort of take Dabo maybe for for granted a little bit with the consistent winning and all the success he has at Clemson. But, um, but where did you go for coach of the year? I, I ended up going with Fuente.
0: Yeah. I almost forgot about coach of the year. I went with Fuente and you win yeah. the division in your first year. You take a team that been 500 pretty much the last couple of years and go nine and three, even though it had a couple of hiccups along the way. Uh, I think the fact that Petrino kind of tanked at the end of the year with those mm-hmm. losses to Houston, Kentucky uh, Dabo had the loss. I think if he goes undefeated with this sort of loaded team that he has, uh, if he goes undefeated, he probably gets more uh, recognition with that. I, I actually on the teleconference last night, I thought it was funny. He was like, "This is the the easiest team I've ever had to coach. <laughs> They've yeah. been so great." I'm like, "You're not making a case for coach of the year honors here if you're talking about what an easy job it was to coach this team." Uh, I thought Clawson had had a case. Uh, maybe it would have been bolstered a bit more if they hadn't lost to Boston College in the season finale. Uh, that would have been, they would have been seven and five instead
1: of six and six. That looks a lot better.
0: Um, yeah, he, he did a great
1: job. Actually, both of those coaches did a a really nice job of turning around just horrible, horrible programs. Um, But you're right. Yeah, I I thought Clawson would have been much closer to Fuente in, in my mind had they uh, had they gotten over that and beaten Boston College.
0: Yeah, I mean, this award, it, yeah, you hate to say it's always like this, but it's always kind of who exceeds the preseason expectations. Yeah, uh, That's what it comes down to, and that's why Dabo is probably not going to get much love this year. It's why Jimbo didn't win it the year that he sure. won it, Didn't win it the year he won the national championship. Uh, it's why Cutcliffe won it a couple years in a row. Uh, I mean, he deserved it, really, that first year, obviously, when they, it's like, oh, Duke is going to a bowl game, are you kidding me? Right. Yeah. Uh, maybe the times after that, I think he won it the the year that the Jimbo won the national championship. So I think uh, maybe it could have gone another direction there. But, uh, you know, Fuente, I think is very deserving. Uh, certainly with, yeah. you know, this has been a program that's sort of been dormant for a while and, and he woke him up and he got him to the division title again. Uh, I think that gets the award, obviously.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I was talking to Wes McElroy on his radio show this morning about, you know, we talked a lot and then the storyline went away of following a legend in, in Frank Beamer. And uh, certainly Frank Beamer deserves some credit in, in how, smoothly this transition has gone, but, uh, Justin Fuente deserves a ton of credit. And, you know, some things that aren't necessarily wins and losses, but the way he managed taking over for Frank Beamer, still incorporating him in the program, but clearly putting his stamp on it. The fact that he went out and got a quarterback, then picked that quarterback, started that quarterback, and that quarterback proved to be a great player. Um, when you're a little closer maybe to Virginia Tech, maybe it's an unfair advantage for, Fuente, in terms of our votes, but we saw some of the behind the scenes and he did some really great things. I thought behind the scenes that then helped lead to that success on the field.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, I think, I think he's going to get it. I think yeah. the way the results went, and I think it'll be a deserved honor this year. Uh, looking forward real quickly at Clemson in this ACC title game. Ooh. Aaron McFarlane and I will talk about that more in depth a little bit later this week. Uh, just get your sort of quick hit thoughts on this game. I think the line opened at 9, went, came, went down to 8, and I checked this morning. I think I saw it at 10 at some places. So the, the Hokies are fairly big underdogs in this game. Uh, can they hang with Clemson?
1: You know, I, I think they can in that um, you look at the strength on strength, and and, and I think that Virginia Tech's secondary has been very good. Uh, they've been very good this year covering guys, and Clemson has a very deep receiving core. I think they had three guys that I considered. Uh, they didn't all make it, but that I considered when I was doing the all-conference balloting. I think Virginia Tech has the personnel in the secondary to match up. Now, obviously, what concerns me... And it's easy to say Deshaun Watson concerns you, you can concern anyone, but this team has struggled, as you know well, um, against running quarterbacks. And I think that Deshaun Watson's ability to run on non-called runs, you know, for tech to cover well downfield, for Kenneth Canham and Woody Barron to get a push, uh, and then for Deshaun Watson to break contain and pick up yards, that's where I worry about this matchup uh for Virginia Tech. Offensively, I, I think they can put up points. I I know they haven't played particularly well against Clemson, but it's been what five, six years, four years, I guess, since they've played each other, they they lost in Clemson, thirty-eight, seventeen, so seventeen points, not an impressive output. Uh, they lost in that uh, ACC title game, thirty-eight to ten. But this is a very different offense. I think they'll be able to score enough to hang with Clemson, and I think in the end, Deshaun Watson uh, will be the difference. And if Gerard Evans ends up being the difference, then maybe we have to go back and reevaluate our, our player of the year and quarterback of the year votes. But um, that's where I see it. I think Tech will. Be able to cover in the secondary. I think they'll lose track of Watson and he'll gain some rushing yards. Uh, I think they'll be able to score. Uh, I think I think Clemson wins a fairly high scoring game in this one.
0: Yeah, I, I think in the past I'd look at this game and I go, "How is Virginia Tech going to score enough points to even yeah. keep up with Clemson?" Uh, that is no longer the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they have an offense that uh, can can score points on anybody. I mean, I know there are obviously games where they have not. Uh, performed very well, and not executed very well, and that's shown up uh, in the final score, Georgia Tech and Syracuse being a couple of those games. But, for the most part, this has been a, a pretty productive offense, and one that you can't really keep down for that long. So, uh, yeah, it, it, usually I'd be concerned. I go into this and say, "How are they going to score enough points? If, if Clemson scores thirty, the game's over." I don't think that's the case this year, and uh, you know, yeah. I, I think it goes back to you know, Bud Foster doesn't have to play perfect defense for this team to win anymore. Well, he needs to do enough to slow down Clemson in this game. And I mean, they have so many weapons. And even the one game they lost, it was 43 to 42 on a last second field goal. So, uh, make no mistake, this is the best team they've faced since Ohio State in the opener last year. Uh, and it might be even better than that team, uh, certainly with how how the Buckeyes ended up that season. Uh, I, you know, but I am giving the Hokies a chance here in, in this game. I mean, they, yeah, I think they go in, uh, not having that much pressure on them. I don't think many people are going to give them much of a chance in this game. I, I think that allows you to play free and loose and sort of with nothing to lose. Uh, Clemson is playing to get into the playoff, and I, I know that's an extra motivational thing, but it's also a lot at stake and a lot that you could lose if you don't play well. And uh, If a game doesn't start out well, all of a sudden that sort of, uh, you know, pucker factor raises a little bit for the rest of the game. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I've been completely off base in a lot of these games, uh, sort of predicting it this year. But I think going in, I think it's a, a pretty good matchup. Uh, two ranked teams for the ACC this week going into it, so they, they probably enjoy that. that uh, I think they'd enjoy it more if the game was in Charlotte, if they could have actually played this game in Charlotte, because that would have yeah. been an overflow crowd. I don't think you're going to quite get that in Orlando, but uh, it, it's interesting. It, it's fun to be covering a team that's in interesting games and meaningful games again this week, so it'll be interesting. I'll be curious to see what the turnout is. Uh, in Orlando, uh, you know, I, I think a good portion of Hokies fans will show up. Uh, I'm curious how many Clemson fans show up because there's the prospect of having to go to Arizona for this national semifinal if they win that game. Maybe they're saving some of their money for that trip. But uh, I just think this this is kind of a matchup that, of the ones that were on the table, I think this one is probably one of the more intriguing ones for the league.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's uh, you know high powered offense against traditionally great defense throw in the the new Fuente offense I, I think it's a, a game that if you're a fan you'd enjoy watching and um, I think in, in sort of boring fashion, it's probably going to come down to which team can can get a stop. You know, I, I think it is going to be high scoring. And, you know, can Clemson's D get one or two big stops or is it Bud Foster's group? And um, I hope the way it plays out, because uh, while, while Saturday, I'm sure, was a lot of fun for Virginia Tech fans, kind of boring to, <laughs> to watch a game like that. And, you know, you're happy for some people who have nice moments. But I, I'm expecting the ACC title game to be, uh, if nothing else, much more entertaining than Saturday's one-sided route was.
0: All right, we've gone on pretty long here. Let's wrap it up with game balls. I'll
1: let you go first. Who you got? Yeah, um, I'm going to start on the defensive side, actually, and I'm going to go with Kenneth Uh In addition to the one sack, he also had three quarterback pressures. Uh, it was a game that meant a lot to him, and um, you know, I thought I thought that front played well. I thought the whole defense played well, but um, in the end, Kenneth Kainem is my guy. And uh, since you let me go first, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Sam Rogers as my offensive game ball. I don't know how how I could skip him since he gave me the first pick the the touchdowns uh, and, and also just what he's meant all year uh capping it with the proposal to his girlfriend uh so I Sam Rogers, in addition to everything he already got he gets a game ball from me which I'm sure is just as important to him as the win and the touchdowns and the engagement uh he can add my game ball to his Yeah mantle.
0: we'll send him the ceremonial plaque here <laughs> from our our picks uh defensively I'm going to go with uh, Andrew Matuapilaka Uh, Had the touchdown on the fumble return, 70 yards. You know, he has four touchdowns in his career. (laughs) He just has a nose for the ball when it's around the end zone like that. Uh, Also had an interception. Uh, you know, leading tackler with six. I mean, it's not very high, but a lot of guys played in that game. And uh to be honest, they didn't complete many passes or get many rushes to the linebacker level of the field for him to have to make tackles. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with him. Uh Offensively, I'm going to go with Sam Rogers. I don't care if it's a duplicate pick. You can't give the game ball to anybody other than Sam in this game. After, after the kind of day he had, uh yeah, I, I'm not even going to – I think if I gave the game ball to somebody else in this, they would pick it. It would be one of those Ving Rhames situations where he gave the award to somebody else. <laughs> he would give the game ball to Sam in this situation. So I'm not going to be too weird. I'll just give it to Sam here. Uh, and, yeah, I think that's about it. Is that we anything else to add? What do you got to add?
1: No, I think that's it. I'm looking – I'm genuinely looking forward to Saturday. I think it's going to be a fun game to cover and an entertaining game to watch. So I, I would end it on that. I'm, I think Saturday is going to be a lot of fun.
0: All right. Well, we'll be down in Orlando. I'm going down Thursday. Are you going on Thursday?
1: As well? Yep. I'll fly down Thursday right. uh, early afternoon.
0: We'll be down there. We'll eat at some chain restaurants, probably, because that's what Orlando Ugh. has. And uh, we'll enjoy some warmer weather, hopefully. Uh, but uh, we'll continue to read our stuff this week. We'll have plenty of coverage all week uh, previewing this game. Uh, for Mike Barber, this is Andy Bitter. We'll talk to you next week.